Act Four of Mrs. Warren's Profession by George Bernard Shaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Act Four. Honoria Fraser's Chambers in Chancery Lane, an office at the top of new stone buildings with a plate glass window, distempered walls, electric light, and a patent stove. Saturday afternoon. The chimneys of London's inn and the western sky beyond are seen through the window. There is a double writing-table in the middle of the room, with a cigar-box, ash-pans, and a portable electric reading-lamp, almost snowed up in heaps of paper and books. This table has knee-holes and chairs right and left, and is very untidy. The clerk's desk closed and tidy with its high stool is against the wall near a door communicating with the inner rooms in the opposite wall is the door leading to the public corridor its upper panel is of opaque glass lettered in black on the outside fraser and warren a baize screen hides the corner between this door and the window frank in a fashionably light-colored coaching suit with his stick gloves and white hat in his hands is pacing up and down in the office somebody tries the door with a key frank calling come in it's not locked vivi comes in in her hat and jacket she stops and stares at him vivi sternly what are you doing here frank waiting to see you i've been here for hours is this the way you attend to your business he puts his hat and stick on the table and perches himself with a vault on the clerk's stool looking at her with every appearance of being in a specially restless teasing flippant mood vivi i've been away exactly twenty minutes for a cup of tea she shakes off her hat and jacket and hangs them behind the screen how did you get in frank the staff had not left when i arrived He's gone to play cricket on Primrose Hill. Why don't you employ a woman and give your sex a chance? Vivi, what did you come for? Frank, springing off the stool and coming close to her. Viv, let's go and enjoy the Saturday half-holiday somewhere like the staff. What do you say to Richmond, and then a music hall and a jolly supper? Vivi, can't afford it. I shall put in another six hours' work before I go to bed. Frank. Can't afford it, can we? Ha-ha! Look here! He takes out a handful of sovereigns and makes them chink. Gold, Viv, gold! Vivi. Where did you get it? Frank. Gambling, Viv, gambling. Poker. Vivi. Pa! It's meaner than stealing it. No, I'm not coming. She sits down to work at the table with her back to the glass door and begins turning over the papers. Frank, remonstrating piteously, But, my dear Viv, I want to talk to you ever so seriously. Vivi, very well. Sit down in Honoria's chair and talk here. I like ten minutes chat after tea. He murmurs, No use groaning, I'm inexorable. He takes the opposite seat disconsolately. Pass that cigar-box, will you? Frank, pushing the cigar-box across. Nasty womanly habit. Nice men don't do it any longer. Vivi. 
Yes, they object to the smell in the office, and we've had to take to cigarettes. See? She opens the box and takes out a cigarette, which she lights. She offers him one, but he shakes his head with a wry face. She settles herself comfortably in her chair, smoking. Go ahead. Frank. Well, I want to know what you've done, what arrangements you've made. Vivi. Everything was settled twenty minutes after I arrived here. Honoria has found the business too much for her this year, and she was on the point of sending for me and proposing a partnership when I walked in and told her I hadn't a farthing in the world. So I installed myself and packed her off for a fortnight's holiday. What happened at Hasselmere when I left? Frank. Nothing at all. I said you'd gone to town on particular business. Vivi. Well? Frank. Well, either they were too flabbergasted to say anything, or else Crofts had prepared your mother. Anyhow, she didn't say anything, and Crofts didn't say anything, and Pratty only stared. After tea they got up and went, and I've not seen them since. Vivi, nodding placidly with one eye on a wreath of smoke. That's all right. Frank, looking round disparagingly. Do you intend to stick to this confounded place? Vivi, blowing the wreath decisively away and sitting straight up. Yes. These two days have given me back all my strength and self-possession. I will never take a holiday again as long as I live. Frank, with a very wry face. Huh. You look quite happy. As hard as nails. Vivi, grimly. Well for me that I am. Frank, rising. Look here, Viv. We must have an explanation. We parted the other day under a complete misunderstanding. He sits on the table close to her. Vivi, putting away the cigarette. Well, clear it up. Frank, you remember what Croft said? Vivi, yes. Frank, that revelation was supposed to bring about a complete change in the nature of our feelings for one another. It places us on the footing of brother and sister. Vivi, yes. Frank, have you ever had a brother? Vivi, no. Frank, then you don't know what being a brother and sister feels like? Now, I have lots of sisters, and the fraternal feeling is quite familiar to me. I assure you that my feeling for you is not the least in the world like it. The girls will go their way, and I go mine, and we shan't care if we never see one another again. That's brother and sister. But as to you, I can't be easy if I have to pass a week without seeing you. That's not brother and sister. It's exactly what I felt an hour before Crofts made his revelation. In short, dear Viv, it's love's young dream. Vivi bitingly. The same feeling, Frank, that brought your father to my mother's feet? Is that it? Frank, so revolted that he slips off the table for a moment. I very strongly object, Viv, to have my feelings compared to any which the Reverend Samuel is capable of harboring, and I object still more to a comparison of you to your mother. Resuming his perch, besides, I don't believe the story. I have taxed my father with it and obtained from him what I consider tantamount to a denial. Vivi, what did he say? Frank, he said he was sure there must be some mistake. Vivi, do you believe him? 
Frank. I am prepared to take his word against Croft's. Vivi. Does it make any difference? I mean, in your imagination or conscience? For, of course, it makes no real difference. Frank shaking his head. None whatever to me. Vivi. Nor to me. Frank staring. But this is ever so surprising. He goes back to his chair. I thought our whole relations were altered in your imagination and conscience, as you put it, the moment those words were out of that brute's muzzle. Vivi. No, it was not that. I didn't believe him. I only wish I could. Frank. Eh? Vivi. I think brother and sister would be a very suitable relation for us. Frank. You really mean that? Vivi. Yes, it's the only relation I care for, even if we could afford any other. I mean that. Frank, raising his eyebrows like one on whom a new light has dawned, and rising with quite an effusion of chivalrous sentiment. My dear Viv, why didn't you say so before? I am ever so sorry for persecuting you. I understand, of course. Vivi, puzzled. Understand what? Frank. Oh, I'm not a fool in the ordinary sense. Only in the scriptural sense of doing all the things the wise man declared to be folly, after trying them himself on the most extensive scale. I see I am no longer Vivum's little boy. Don't be alarmed. I shall never call you Vivum's again. At least unless you get tired of your new little boy, whoever he may be. Vivi. My new little boy. Frank. With conviction must be a new little boy always happens that way no other way in fact vivi none that you know of fortunately for you someone knocks at the door frank my curse upon yon collar whoever he be vivi it's prayed he's going to italy and wants to say goodbye i asked him to call this afternoon go and let him in frank we can continue our conversation after his departure for Italy. I'll stay him out. He goes to the door and opens it. How are you, Prady? Delighted to see you. Come in. Prade, dressed for traveling, comes in in high spirits. Prade. How do you do, Miss Warren? She presses his hand cordially, though a certain sentimentality in his high spirits jars upon her. I start in an hour for Holborn Viaduct. I wish I could persuade you to try Italy. Vivi. What for? Prayed. Why, to saturate yourself with beauty and romance, of course. Vivi, with a shudder, turns her chair to the table, as if the work waiting for her there were a support to her. Prayed sits opposite to her. Frank places a chair near Vivi and drops lazily and carelessly into it talking at her over his shoulder. Frank. No use, Prady. Viv is a little Philistine. She is indifferent to my romance and insensible to my beauty. Vivi. Mr. Prade, once for all, there is no beauty and no romance in life for me. Life is what it is, and I am prepared to take it as it is. Prade, enthusiastically. You will not say that if you come with me to Verona and on to Venice. You will cry with delight at living in such a beautiful world. Frank. That is most eloquent, Prady. Keep it up. 
prayed oh i assure you i have cried i shall cry again i hope at fifty at your age miss warren you would not need to go so far as verona your spirits would absolutely fly up at the mere sight of ostend you would be charmed with the gaiety the vivacity the happy air of brussels vivi springing up with an exclamation of loathing ah prayed rising what's the matter frank rising hello viv vivi to prayed with deep reproach can you find no better example of your beauty and romance than brussels to talk to me about prayed puzzles of course it's very different from verona i don't suggest for a moment that vivi bitterly probably the beauty and romance come to much the same in both places prayed completely sobered and much concerned my dear miss warren i looking inquiringly at frank is anything the matter frank she thinks your enthusiasm frivolous prady she's had ever such a serious call vivi sharply hold your tongue frank don't be silly frank sitting down do you call this good manners prayed prayed anxious and considerate shall i take him away miss warren i feel sure we have disturbed you at your work vivis sit down i'm not ready to go back to work yet prayed sits you both think i have an attack of nerves not a bit of it there are two subjects i want dropped if you don't mind one of them to frank is love's young dream in any shape or form the other to prayed is the romance and beauty of life especially ostend and the gaiety of brussels you are welcome to any illusions you may have left on these subjects i have none if we three are to remain friends i must be treated as a woman of business permanently single to frank and permanently unromantic to pray frank i also shall remain permanently single until you change your mind Prady, change the subject. Be eloquent about something else. Prayed, diffidently. I'm afraid there's nothing else in the world that I can talk about. The gospel of art is the only one I can preach. I know Miss Warren is a great devotee of the gospel of getting on, but we can't discuss that without hurting your feelings, Frank, since you are determined not to get on. Frank, oh, don't mind my feelings give me some improving advice by all means it does me ever so much good have another try to make a successful man of me viv come let's have it all energy thrift foresight self-respect character don't you hate people who have no character viv vivi wincing oh stop stop let us have no more of that horrible cant mr prade if there are really only those two gospels in the world we had better all kill ourselves for the same taint is in both through and through frank looking critically at her there is a touch of poetry about you today viv which has hitherto been lacking prayed remonstrating my dear frank aren't you a little unsympathetic vivi merciless to herself no it's good for me it keeps me from being sentimental frank bantering her checks your strong natural propensity that way don't it vivi almost hysterically oh yes go on don't spare me 
I was sentimental for one moment in my life, beautifully sentimental, by moonlight, and now... Frank quickly. I say, Viv, take care. Don't give yourself away. Vivi. Oh, do you think Mr. Prade doesn't know all about my mother? Turning on Prade. You had better have told me that morning, Mr. Prade. You are very old-fashioned in your delicacies, after all. Prade. Surely it is you who are a little old-fashioned in your prejudices, Miss Warren. I feel bound to tell you, speaking as an artist, and believing that the most intimate human relationships are far beyond and above the scope of the law, that though I know that your mother is an unmarried woman, I do not respect her the less on that account. I respect her more. Frank, airily. Here, here. Vivi, staring at him. Is that all you know? Prayed. Certainly that is all. Vivi. Then neither of you know anything. Your guesses are innocence itself compared with the truth. Prayed, rising, startled and indignant, and preserving his politeness with an effort. I hope not. More emphatically. I hope not, Miss Warren. Frank whistles. Phew. Vivi. You are not making it easy for me to tell you, Mr. Prayed. Prayed his chivalry drooping before their conviction. If there is anything worse, that is, anything else, are you sure you are right to tell us, Miss Warren? Vivi, I am sure that if I had the courage, I should spend the rest of my life in telling everybody, stamping and branding it into them until they all felt their part in its abomination as I feel mine. There is nothing I despise more than the wicked convention that protect these things by forbidding a woman to mention them. And yet, I can't tell you. The two infamous words that describe what my mother is are ringing in my ears and struggling on my tongue. But I can't utter them. The shame of them is too horrible for me. She buries her face in her hands. The two men, astonished, stare at one another and then at her. She raises her head again, desperately, and snatches a sheet of paper and a pen. Here, let me draft you a prospectus. Frank. Oh, she's mad. Do you hear, Viv? Mad? Come, pull yourself together. Vivi. You shall see, she writes. Paid up capital, not less than forty thousand pounds, standing in the name of Sir George Crofts, baronet, the chief shareholder. Premises at Brussels, Ostend, Vienna, and Budapest. Managing Director, Mrs. Warren. And now, don't let us forget her qualifications, the two words. She writes the words and pushes the paper to them. There. Oh, no, don't read it, don't. She snatches it back and tears it to pieces, then seizes her head in her hands and hides her face on the table. Frank, who has watched the writing over her shoulder and opened his eyes very widely at it, takes a card from his pocket, scribbles the two words on it, and silently hands it to Prade, who reads it with amazement, and hides it hastily in his pocket. Frank, whispering tenderly, Viv, dear, that's all right. I read what you wrote. So did Prady. We understand, and we remain, as this leaves us at present, yours ever so devotedly. Prayed. We do indeed, Miss Warren. I declare you are the most splendidly courageous woman I ever met. 
This sentimental compliment braces Vivi. She throws it away from her with an impatient shake and forces herself to stand up, though not without some support from the table. Frank. Don't stir, Viv, if you don't want to. Take it easy. Vivi. Thank you. You can always depend on me for two things, not to cry and not to faint. She moves a few steps toward the door of the inner room and steps close to Prade to say, I shall need much more courage than that when I tell my mother that we have come to a parting of the ways. Now I must go into the next room for a moment to make myself neat again, if you don't mind. Prade. Shall we go away? Vivi. No, I'll be back presently. Only for a moment. She goes into the other room, Prade opening the door for her. Prade. What an amazing revelation! I'm extremely disappointed in Crofts. I am indeed. Frank. I'm not in the least. I feel he's perfectly accounted for at last. But what a facer for me. Prady, I can't marry her now. Prayed sternly. Frank. The two look at one another. Frank unruffled. Prayed deeply indignant. Let me tell you, Gardner, that if you desert her now, you'll behave very despicably. Frank. Good old Prady. Ever chivalrous. But you mistake. It's not the moral aspect of the case. It's the money aspect. I really can't bring myself to touch the old woman's money now. Prayed. And was that what you were going to marry on? Frank. What else? I haven't any money, nor the slightest turn for making it. If I married Viv now, she would have to support me, and I should cost her more than I am worth. Prayed. But surely a clever, bright fellow like you can make something by your own brains? Frank. Oh, yes, a little. He takes out his money again. I made all that yesterday in an hour and a half, but I made it in a highly speculative business. No, dear Prady, even if Bessie and Georgiana marry millionaires, and the governor dies after cutting them off with a shilling, I shall have only four hundred a year. And he won't die until he's threescore and ten. He hasn't originality enough. I shall be on short allowance for the next twenty years. No short allowance for Viv, if I can help it. I withdraw gracefully and leave the field to the gilded youth of England. So, that's settled. I shan't worry about her. I'll just send her a little note after we're gone. She'll understand. Prayed, grasping his hand. Good fellow, Frank. I heartily beg your pardon, but must you never see her again? Frank, never see her again? Hang it all, be reasonable. I shall come along as often as possible and be her brother. I can not understand the absurd consequences you romantic people expect from the most ordinary transactions. A knock at the door. I wonder who this is. Would you mind opening the door? If it's a client, it will look more respectable than if I appeared. Prayed. Certainly. He goes to the door and opens it. Frank sits down in Vivi's chair to scribble a note. My dear Kitty, come in, come in. Mrs. Warren comes in, looking apprehensively around for Vivi. She has done her best to make herself matronly and dignified. The brilliant hat is replaced by a sober bonnet, 
and the gay blouse covered by a costly black silk mantle. She is pitiably anxious and ill at ease, evidently panic-stricken. Mrs. Warren to Frank. What? You're here, are you? Frank, turning in his chair from his writing and not rising. Here and charmed to see you. You come like a breath of spring. Mrs. Warren. Oh, get out with your nonsense. In a low voice. Where's Vivi? Frank points expressively to the door of the inner room, but says nothing. Mrs. Warren, sitting down suddenly and almost beginning to cry. Prady, won't she see me, don't you think? Prayed. My dear Kitty, don't distress yourself. Why should she not? Mrs. Warren. Oh, you can never see why not. You're too innocent. Mr. Frank, did she say something to you? Frank, folding his note. She must see you, if, very expressively, you wait till she comes in. Mrs. Warren, frightened. Why shouldn't I wait? Frank looks quizzically at her, puts his note carefully on the ink bottle, so that Vivi cannot fail to find it when next she dips her pen, then rises and devotes his attention entirely to her. Frank. My dear Mrs. Warren, suppose you were a sparrow, ever so tiny and pretty, a sparrow hopping in the roadway, and you saw a steamroller coming in your direction. Would you wait for it? Mrs. Warren. Oh, don't bother me with your sparrows. What did she run away from Hasselmere like that for? Frank. I'm afraid she'll tell you if you rashly await her return. Mrs. Warren. Do you want me to go away? Frank. No, I always want you to stay. But I advise you to go away. Mrs. Warren. What? And never see her again? Frank. Precisely. Mrs. Warren crying again. Pratty, don't let him be cruel to me. She hastily checks her tears and wipes her eyes. She'll be so angry if she sees I've been crying. Frank, with a touch of real compassion in his airy tenderness. You know that Pratty is the soul of kindness, Mrs. Warren. Pratty, what do you say? Go or stay? Prayed to Mrs. Warren. I really should be very sorry to cause you unnecessary pain, but I think perhaps you had better not wait. The fact is, Vivi is heard at the inner door. Frank, shh, too late, she's coming. Mrs. Warren, don't tell her I was crying. Vivi comes in. She stops gravely on seeing Mrs. Warren, who greets her with hysterical cheerfulness. Well, dearie, so here you are at last. Vivi. I'm glad you have come. I want to speak to you. You said you were going, Frank, I think? Frank. Yes. Will you come with me, Mrs. Warren? What do you say to a trip to Richmond and the theater in the evening? There is safety in Richmond. No steam roller there. Vivi. Nonsense, Frank. My mother will stay here. Mrs. Warren, scared. I don't know. Perhaps I'd better go. We're disturbing you at your work. Vivi, with quiet decision, Mr. Prade, please take Frank away. Sit down, mother. Mrs. Warren obeys helplessly. Prade, come, Frank. Goodbye, Miss Vivi. Vivi, shaking hands. Goodbye. A pleasant trip. Prade, thank you, thank you. I hope so. Frank to Mrs. Warren. 
Goodbye. You'd ever so much better have taken my advice. He shakes hands with her, then airily to Vivi. Bye-bye, Viv. Vivi. Goodbye. He goes out gaily without shaking hands with her. Prayed sadly. Goodbye, Kitty. Mrs. Warren sniveling. Oh, bye. Prayed goes. Vivi, composed and extremely grave, sits down in Honoria's chair and waits for her mother to speak. Mrs. Warren, dreading a pause, loses no time in beginning. Mrs. Warren. Well, Vivi, what did you go away like that for without saying a word to me? How could you do such a thing? And what have you done to poor George? I wanted him to come with me, but he shuffled out of it. I could see that he was quite afraid of you. Only fancy, he wanted me not to come. As if, trembling, I should be afraid of you, dearie. Vivi's gravity deepens. But of course I told him it was all settled and comfortable between us, and that we were on the best of terms. She breaks down. Vivi, what's the meaning of this? She produces a commercial envelope and fumbles at the enclosure with trembling fingers. I got it from the bank this morning. Vivi, it is my month's allowance. They sent it to me as usual the other day. I simply sent it back to be placed in your credit and asked them to send you the lodgment receipt. In future, I shall support myself. Mrs. Warren, not daring to understand, wasn't it enough? Why didn't you tell me? With a cunning gleam in her eye, I'll double it. I was intending to double it. Only let me know how much you want. Vivi, you know very well that has nothing to do with it. From this time I go my own way in my own business and among my own friends, and you will go yours. She rises. Goodbye. Mrs. Warren, rising, appalled. Goodbye? Vivi, yes, goodbye. Come, don't let us make a useless scene. You understand perfectly well. Sir George Crofts has told me the whole business. Mrs. Warren, angrily. Silly old she swallows an epithet then turns white at the narrowness of her escape from uttering it vivi just so mrs warren he ought to have his tongue cut out but i thought it was ended you said you didn't mind vivi steadfastly excuse me i do mind mrs warren but i explained vivi you explained how it came about you did not tell me that it was still going on, she sits. Mrs. Warren, silenced for a moment, looks forlornly at Vivi, who waits, secretly hoping that the combat is over. But the cunning expression comes back into Mrs. Warren's face, and she bends across the table, sly and urgent, half-whispering, Mrs. Warren, Vivi, do you know how rich I am? Vivi. I have no doubt you are very rich, Mrs. Warren. But you don't know all that that means. You're too young. It means a new dress every day. It means theaters and balls every night. It means having the pick of all the gentlemen in Europe at your feet. It means a lovely house and plenty of servants. It means the choicest of eating and drinking. It means everything you like, everything you want everything you can think of and what are you here 
a mere drudge toiling and moiling early and late for your bare living and two cheap dresses a year think it over soothingly you're shocked i know i can enter into your feelings and i think they do you credit but trust me nobody will blame you you may take my word for that i know what young girls are and i know you'll think better of it when you've turned it over in your mind vivi so that's how it's done is it you must have said all that to many a woman to have it so pat mrs warren passionately what harm am i asking you to do vivi turns away contemptuously mrs warren continues desperately vivi listen to me you don't understand you were taught wrong on purpose you don't know what the world is really like vivi arrested taught wrong on purpose what do you mean mrs warren i mean that you're throwing away all your chances for nothing you think that people are what they pretend to be that the way you were taught at school and college to think right and proper is the way things really are but it's not it's all only a pretense to keep the cowardly slavish common run of people quiet do you want to find that out like other women at forty when you've thrown yourself away and lost your chances or won't you take it in good time now from your own mother that loves you and swears to you that it's truth gospel truth urgently vivi the big people the clever people the managing people all know it they do as i do and think what i think i know plenty of them i know how to speak to to introduce you to to make friends of for you i don't mean anything wrong that's what you don't understand your head is full of ignorant ideas about me what do the people that taught you know about life or about people like me when did they ever meet me or speak to me or let anyone tell them about me the fools would they have done anything for you if i hadn't paid them haven't i told you that i want you to be respectable haven't i brought you up to be respectable and how can you keep it up without my money and my influence and lizzie's friends can't you see that you're cutting your own throat as well as breaking my heart and turning your back on me vivi i recognize the cross philosophy of life mother i heard it all from him that day at the gardener's mrs warren you think i want to force that played out old sot on you i don't vivi on my oath i don't vivi it would not matter if you did you would not succeed mrs warren winces deeply hurt by the implied indifference towards her affectionate intention vivi neither understanding this nor concerning herself about it goes on calmly mother you don't at all know the sort of person i am i don't object to crofts more than to any other coarsely built man of his class to tell you the truth i rather admire him for being strong-minded enough to enjoy himself in his own way and make plenty of money instead of living the usual shooting hunting dining out tailoring loafing life of his set merely because all the rest do it and i'm perfectly aware that if i'd been in the same circumstances as my aunt liz i'd have done exactly what she did i don't think i'm more prejudiced or straight-laced than you i think i'm less i'm certain i'm less sentimental 
I know very well that fashionable morality is all a pretense, and that if I took your money and devoted the rest of my life to spending it fashionably, I might be as worthless and vicious as the silliest woman could possibly be without having a word said to me about it. But I don't want to be worthless. I shouldn't enjoy trotting about the park to advertise my dressmaker and carriage builder, or being bored at the opera to show off a shop window full of diamonds. Mrs. Warren, bewildered. But— Vivi, wait a moment. I've not done. Tell me why you continue your business now that you are independent of it. Your sister, you told me, has left all that behind her. Why don't you do the same? Mrs. Warren. Oh, it's all very easy for Liz. She likes good society and has the air of being a lady. Imagine me in a cathedral town. Why, the very rooks in the streets would find me out, even if I could stand the dullness of it. I must have work and excitement, or I should go melancholy mad. And what else is there for me to do? The life suits me. I'm fit for it and not for anything else. If I didn't do it, somebody else would, so I don't do any real harm by it. And then it brings in money, and I like making money. No, it's no use. I can't give it up, not for anybody. But what need you know about it? I'll never mention it. I'll keep Crofts away. I'll not trouble you much. You see, I have to be constantly running about from one place to another. You'll be quit of me altogether when I die. Vivi. No, I am my mother's daughter. I am like you. I must have work and must make more money than I spend. But my work is not your work, and my way is not your way. We must part. It will not make much difference to us. Instead of meeting one another for perhaps a few months in twenty years, we shall never meet, that's all. Mrs. Warren, her voice stifled in tears. Vivi, I meant to have been more with you. I, I did indeed. Vivi, it's no use, mother. I am not to be changed by a few cheap tears and entreaties any more than you are, I dare say. Mrs. Warren, wildly, Oh, you call a mother's tears cheap? Vivi, they cost you nothing, and you ask me to give you the peace and quietness of my whole life in exchange for them. What use would my company be to you if you could get it? What have we two in common that could make either of us happy together? Mrs. Warren, lapsing recklessly into her dialect, We're mother and daughter. I want my daughter. I've a right to you. Who is to care for me when I'm old? Plenty of girls have taken to me like daughters and cried at leaving me, but I let them all go because I had you to look forward to. I kept myself lonely for you. You've no right to turn on me now and refuse to do your duty as a daughter. Vivi, jarred and antagonized by the echo of the slums in her mother's voice. My duty as a daughter. I thought we should come to that presently. Now, once for all, mother, you want a daughter, and Frank wants a wife. I don't want a mother, and I don't want a husband. I have spared neither Frank nor myself in sending him about his business. Do you think I will spare you? Mrs. Warren, violently. Oh, I know the sort you are. No mercy for yourself or anyone else. I know. My experience has done that for me anyhow. I can tell the pious, canting, hard, selfish woman when I meet her. 
Well, keep yourself to yourself. I don't want you. But listen to this. Do you know what I would do with you if you were a baby again? I as sure as there's a heaven above us. Vivi, strangle me, perhaps? Mrs. Warren, no. I'd bring you up to be a real daughter to me, and not what you are now, with your pride and your prejudices and the college education you stole from me. Yes, stole. Deny it if you can. What was it but stealing? I'd bring you up in my own house, I would. Vivi, quietly, in one of your own houses. Mrs. Warren, screaming, Listen to her! Listen to how she spits on her mother's gray hair! Oh, may you live to have your own daughter tear and trample on you as you have trampled on me! Uh, and you will! You will! No woman ever had luck with the mother's curse on her. Vivi, I wish you wouldn't rant, mother. It only hardens me. Come, I suppose I am the only young woman you ever had in your power that you did good to. Don't spoil it all now. Mrs. Warren, yes, heaven forgive me, it's true, and you are the only one that ever turned on me. Oh, the injustice of it, the injustice, the injustice. I always wanted to be a good woman. I tried honest work, and I was slave-driven until I cursed the day I ever heard of honest work. I was a good mother, and because I made my daughter a good woman, she turns me out as if I were a leper. Oh, if I only had my life to live over again, I'd talk to that lying clergyman in the school. From this time forth, so help me heaven in my last hour. I'll do wrong and nothing but wrong, and I'll prosper on it. Vivi, yes, it's better to choose your line and go through with it. If I had been you, mother, I might have done as you did. But I should not have lived one life and believed in another. You are a conventional woman at heart. That is why I am bidding you good-bye now. I am right, am I not? Mrs. Warren, taken aback. Right to throw away all my money? Vivi. No. Right to get rid of you? I should be a fool not to. Isn't that so? Mrs. Warren, sulkily. Oh, well, yes, if you come to that, I suppose you are. But Lord help the world if everybody took to doing the right thing. And now I'd better go than stay where I'm not wanted. She turns to the door. Vivi kindly. Won't you shake hands? Mrs. Warren, after looking at her fiercely for a moment with a savage impulse to strike her. No, thank you. Goodbye. Vivi, matter-of-factly. Goodbye. Mrs. Warren goes out, slamming the door behind her. The strain on Vivi's face relaxes. Her grave expression breaks into one of joyous content. Her breath goes out in a half-sob, half-laugh of intense relief. She goes buoyantly to her place at the writing-table, pushes the electric lamp out of the way, pulls over a great sheaf of papers, and is in the act of dipping her pen in the ink when she finds Frank's note. She opens it unconcernedly and reads it quickly, giving a little laugh at some quaint turn of expression in it. And goodbye, Frank. She tears the note up and tosses the pieces into the waste paper basket without a second thought. Then she goes at her work with a plunge and soon becomes absorbed in its figures. End of Act Four End of 
Mrs. Warren's Profession by George Bernard Shaw. 